0: Welcome to this edition of the KTH 910 AM interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. I'm Dave Palmer, executive director here at the station. Diane is running the board. And uh, this is going to be a fun 2025 minutes because uh, there's something that we have been talking about on the radio for literally years as an option for a pilgrimage during our Shirathon, and uh, we talk about it, we make fun of the, the confusing sounding name, and, uh, it's, it's, and what I'm speaking about is the passion play in Germany that's put on every 10 years in the city of Oberammergau and uh, they do it every two, 10 years uh, in 2020 they had to postpone because of the pandemic so it was going on this year and i've actually never talked to anybody who went and lo and behold my own dear sister mary and her husband bob uh went just uh a week or two ago and so it's fresh in their mind and so i asked them if they'd possibly do a phone interview and talk about their experience at Oberammergau and the passion play and by golly, they said yes, and so yeah, here they are. Uh, my my oldest sister, Mary, and her husband, Bob. Uh, welcome to the show, and thanks for being on the on the program with us.
1: Yeah, thanks, Dave. You're
0: welcome. welcome. All right, so uh, tell us. Uh, I, I know this was like a for, Mary. This was like a 40th anniversary trip for you and Bob. Uh, what what inspired you know of all the things that you could have done for the 40th anniversary to say, hey, let's let's get out to Germany for this passion play. What was the inspiration?
1: Well, yeah, So it was a milestone anniversary, and so we wanted to take a uh, a trip, and we decided to do a cruise to Europe and uh, a river cruise. And so, as I was looking at different itineraries, I noticed that one of the itineraries uh, included a visit to Oberammergau. And uh, so uh, I had, you know, uh, heard about Oberammergau a few years ago and thought, you know, we that's the itinerary that we want. And so we included that uh, stop on our river cruise trip.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bob, I'm, I'm curious, other than Oberammergau, what other stops or countries or things, any other highlights real quickly about about the trip? Uh, we'll kind of focus on Oberammergau, but what else did y'all see?
2: Um we uh, our trip uh, we landed in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, um and then uh, floated down the Rhine River. Um a couple of places that stood out to me. Um we were our, our first day, first full day off the boat was in Cologne, Germany, so we got to real quickly tour and and walk in the the uh, cathedral there. Mm. Um and and actually while we were in there the uh, it was right around noon. So the huge organ that's in there started playing, and and I mean it, it just filled the filled the church. The so so we saw several cathedrals along the way, uh, some larger, some smaller. Uh, of course, um, you know the Cologne. We saw the the Notre Dame Cathedral in Strasbourg. Mm. We were able to tour that. So um, and then along the way, other touristy type things. You know, you you visit wineries and. And things like that. Um, yeah. So it, it was very kind of a very um, kind of a laid back. I mean, you're just floating down a river, really, uh, seeing amazing things along each along each bank.
0: Yeah, um, breathtakingly very, beautiful re- as well. Reminds me uh, of the the Danube Riverboat cruise that Mary and you know my my other sisters, and my mom did. Uh, uh, gosh, right before the pandemic in 2019. Uh, Mary, I'm, I'm curious, the Oberammergau play. That, I guess, has been going on for, for decades now. How familiar were you with this, you know, before this trip, or how did this kind of hit your radar screen?
1: Well, well interestingly, I had never heard of Oberammergau. And uh, uh, as you mentioned, the Danube River trip um, three three years ago, I was talking to some friends at church about that uh Danube River trip that Guadalupe Radio was uh, sponsoring, and uh, they started talking about a trip that they were planning to take the following, I guess, uh, year, with, uh, kind of within the next uh, six to nine months, to Oberammergau And so I questioned, you know, what that was, and they told me. Um, you know, about this passion play. And so that was my first introduction to Oberammergau, uh, was when we were actually planning the Danube River trip.
0: Yeah, and I, I got to admit, I until we started talking about it on the radio, I had never heard of this. Man, five years ago, mm-hmm. that that city would mean nothing to me. And uh, Bob, I know you're. I think you studied history in college, so you're somewhat of yeah. a, a history guy. What, can, mm-hmm. what what did you learn, or what do you know about the history of this play itself? I mean, every ten years, the the significance it has to the city of Omaramagao and the the country at large. Uh, well, what, what can you tell us historically about? this. Well the,
2: the, the basis and the genesis of the play had to do with um a plague in the in the uh I think throughout Europe and, and in particular in the town of of Oberammergau um around the year sixteen thirty two um pretty pretty strong uh plague through the area and um citizens, you know, in and around the area were dying due to plague. So the, the city fathers pledged that anyone else from their town died due to the plague, that they would put on a passion play every 10 years uh, to um, sort of pay back the Lord for protecting their city and town from the plague. Mm. And And so this came about. No one else for a period of a few years died of the plague. So beginning in, I think it was either 1634 or 1636. That was the first year of the of the play. And then from then on, um, from 1640, every 10 years, um, they put on a passion play in that town um, in celebration of, um, I guess, uh, their town not being as, uh, devastated by the plague, as maybe some other areas around them.
0: Well, I thought you were going to say you know went back to 1910 or something. I had no, oh, no. I, I had no idea. This goes back the you know, literally 300 years. Yeah. That, that's amazing. Yeah, four hundred yeah, yeah, oh, 400, years yeah, oh, yeah 400. Yeah, gosh, my math is mm-hmm. off. Uh, mm-hmm. And is it true, um, uh, uh, Bob, that the, all the actors? Are from the city of Oberammergau. They're not like flying people in from America or other or you know Berlin or something. These are local actors. Is that right?
2: Well, there are some stipulations, and um, but they are all tied to the town of Oberammergau. Um, you can participate in the in the play um, in many capacities. Obviously, on stage is one, orchestra is another. But if you are born in Oberammergau or you live there for twenty years, you can participate. Hmm. So um that, you know, kinda casts a, a pretty good size net I guess over the years. Um but but irregardless the uh, the talent that was on display was um it was pretty amazing. Very um very surprising.
0: Yeah, especially under those circumstances where you don't have uh, professional actors necessarily. Uh, Mary, let me let me ask you about the the city um, of Ammerham, Oberammergau, uh, the Bavarian Alps. Just even that name just sounds so so beautiful. Tell us, can you if you could paint a picture of the the scenery? You know, if, if for those of us who have never been there, what what is it like there? Just from a, a natural beauty standpoint.
1: Well, Oberammergau is it's a small village there's um 4500 people that live there so it's a very small village um it is nestled right in the uh, in and around the alps so you look around and you know you can see the mountains around you uh the town itself um of course, was very busy because there was a lot of people uh, there for the passion play. But the, the homes, the buildings are uh, just decorated with um, window boxes of flowers mm-hmm. and just a very, very um, beautiful, beautiful area
0: yeah amazing and let let's get to the the main crux the 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 play itself and I just wanted to get both of your impressions one at a time. just anything that stands out uh from your experience. I understand it's quite long. this isn't uh an hour and a half you know or uh, you know an hour and then admission this is a long play, but uh Bob, let me start with you. just general impressions what What, what did you think about the play itself and what struck you most?
2: Um, well, we, we, um, as you walk up and and you see the theater, um, you get down close to where the theater is on that one part of town. Um, you realize that this is, it's an indoor theater. So the, so where you're going to be sitting and watching the play is, is, you know, it's not a bunch of wooden benches. It's uh, fairly nice individual seats. Um, when the production started, it opens with a, um, the orchestra plays and then a choir the choir uh comes out and begins to sing and and it kind of took my breath away a little bit i was really surprised at what i was listening to i did not expect this to begin that way and to sound the way it did um it it was i thought okay this is this is going to be way better than i ever expected even Just- though even though the entire production is is in German,
0: yeah, just from a standpoint um, but, of the the quality of the acting, the sound, the the costumes—is that what you mean? Just the overall, oh, yeah. you know, feel of no, it, just, yeah,
2: yeah, from the beginning and through the entire um, through the entire production, which which is a full day. I mean, it's it starts at two thirty and and um, there's a break in the middle to get something to eat about three hours, and then you come back at eight p.m. and and you're we probably left the theater around ten thirty, quarter of eleven at
0: night. Mm. Okay, Mary. Same so it's qu- a full day. Yeah, same question to you, Mary. What were your impressions?
1: Well, you know, I I had a couple of takeaways when you know from this. What I would also say it was the performance was it, it was amazing, and there were a couple of times that I had to remind myself but these are amateurs these are village residents that um, are on stage and uh you know a- and doing this performance it was um, just the quality of not only the acting the singing the music but the the set direction and production it was um amazing it was flawless And um, the second takeaway is, you know, this story revolves around the the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We've heard this story many, many times. You know, we hear it Palm Sunday, uh, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, but to be there and to see this uh, story really en- uh, enacted right in front of us. It was, it was an amazing, amazing experience.
0: Yeah, and so it told the story kind of like the Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. Was it that period of Jesus' life from like the agony in the garden to the, uh, the, the crucifixion? Was it kind of, was it chronological? Was it, you know, that, that, if, if that makes sense, was, it, was that what the, the play was about? Pretty much,
2: yeah. yeah. It, um, it started. Um, it, it starts with, um, I believe. If I'm not, it's Jesus coming into Jerusalem. It includes um, Jesus at the uh, clearing of the temple yeah. um, of the merchants, and now in between, in between Acts. There, the choir would come out and the choir would, um, sing a, uh, sing and perform a song. Um, the choir's just standing there performing. In the background, uh, stage curtains would open up to a center portion of the stage and a particular story of the Old Testament would be in the background. I mean, it'd be actors standing there, um, kind of frozen as mimes. And the and the song would be about a particular story within the Old Testament. So there was a link between the Old and the New Testament, mm. in between actual scenes of the play. Oh wow! So That's- things were done like um, the burning bush, um, uh, Moses before uh, before. Um, you know during the plagues uh, when yeah. when they were uh, yeah before uh, oh gosh i can't think of the
0: the accidents or yes yeah, yeah.
2: so it was uh Cain and Abel um it, th- that part was um was very interesting to kind of it, it kind of interlink the two you know the old and the new testament yeah. um and, and that occurred throughout um, that occurred throughout the production.
0: Yeah. Mary, Bob mentioned about it being in German. Uh, how did y'all get around the language barrier? Sitting there watching something for hours in a different language. How, how, how did you get around that?
1: So we were provided with an English translation book um, that translated all of the text into English. But you, after you've sat, There for a while, I kind of find found myself not necessarily needing Mm -hmm. that translation. You are able to follow just the actors, and uh, you know, and totally understand what is going on. But the 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 entire text, including the uh, chorus, um, the choir, and what was translated for us, yeah. Uh,
0: what about the uh, uh, the crowd? How many people were there, Mary? Um, any restrictions, social distancing? Uh, was it packed? Uh, tell us about that.
1: Yeah, it was very crowded. Um, the amphitheater holds about 4,000 people, and I would say it was um, close to capacity. Um, and uh, the now, as far as restrictions... There were some people there that chose to wear a mask, but it was not required. Yeah, And uh, so it was it was an optional um, choice.
0: Yeah. And uh, Bob, as far as the international flavor, did you get any kind of sense of, you know, you know, a lot of countries represented, mostly Germans, some Americans. Well, 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 tell us about that.
2: Well, around us were a few people that were in our, um, tour group that we had traveled with for that week. So, um, all of them were English speaking either from, from the U S or Canada. Um, but once we, once we got into the theater, you know, we're kind of spread around, we're not all together in one group. So intermixed with us, um, for example, a, a couple of women in front of me were from Germany, um gentleman next to me and his wife were from a town near Stuttgart. Um, they could speak English, uh, could communicate actually pretty well. Um, I had a conversation with the gentleman next to me, um, uh, before the second act began, he was telling me about his son who lived in the U S was an engineer for, um, Oh, John Deere. I think it was. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, a lot of German citizens there. Um, actually, uh, the, the three people that I visited with, it was their first time to see the Passion play. So, I mean, they've lived there all their lives, had never seen it before. So yeah, it was their first experience as it was for us.
0: Yeah, We're talking about the uh play that happens every 10 years, of course, delayed uh, this decade because of the pandemic. It'll be going on again in 2030. Uh, talking to Bob and Mary Mills, uh, who just happened to be my sister and brother-in-law. They live in Oklahoma, uh, and uh, but they're, they're literally the only people I have ever known that have actually gone to this thing. <laughs> so <laughs> it was low-hanging fruit, but I wanted to definitely uh, get their take. I'm really happy that we're doing this as well. It's really interesting. Uh, Mary, talk about other than the play going on, And the beautiful scenery of the Alps, Uh, what other activities or things going on? Are there street performers? I think you uh, you had mentioned before we started the interview, there are wood carvers, um, other vendors. Uh, What else is happening?
1: Well, I think Oberammergau is is primarily a farming town. Um, But we did hear uh, from our tour guides specifically that wood carving is a specialty there. And, uh, and so we did go into a couple of shops that, uh, specialized in wood carving. And it was amazing. I mean, they had, um, uh, items from ornaments all the way to complete, uh, nativity sets. Uh, and it was it, very, very, um, impressive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh you picked up a few Christmas gifts, huh?
1: I did. <laughs> good, I did. Good. Yeah.
0: Uh and uh, baba, uh, some people may be wondering, you know, what does this cost? Uh you know, I I guess you you went through a travel agency. Any any information about that? How how easy or simple it was to get the the tickets? Uh
2: the tickets were included in as Mary described as part of the um part of the tour through Viking. That's the, that was the the uh tour company that we went through um i i didn't i you know i I was you know of course it's a package price so you're not really sure what uh the tickets cost unless you look closely at the tickets but i think our tickets we were i would say we were about halfway from the stage to the back of the theater we were almost in the middle so if you can from a football field perspective, I'd say we were around the forty-yard line, mm-hmm. seat, you know, something like that, a little right of center. Those tickets on the ticket price were um, two hundred and twenty dollars okay. um, a seat. So um, I, I, I'm not sure what seat after the right to the front or to the back of us were, but but I guess as a reference point, that was the cost. Um, uh, you know, on a trip like this. Who cares really what the cost is you're you're looking at something that's pretty amazing yeah um and and that's kind of that was that was my perspective on it. It didn't really oh okay yeah but, I mean, yeah what what we got for that cost was um you know pretty amazing
0: yeah I guess, and uh probably a stupid question in light of all the the praise that you're giving this, but uh, Mary, would you recommend this to people who are listening the the trip over and I guess as a follow up question, would you guys ever consider doing it again?
1: <laughs> I would highly recommend uh this um, uh, uh, i would i would and I, and if the opportunity is Ever made available to us to go again, we will certainly do that. Um, it was a wonderful experience, um, uh, great memories, and uh, you know, just a, a once a, once in a lifetime experience. Yeah, highly, highly recommended.
0: Yeah, and Bob, I, I don't think after the last comment you made, uh, th- there's any question you <laughs> you would definitely uh, agree with what Mary just said.
2: Oh oh certainly if you can if one could imagine a town of um 40 um pretty much catering to uh visitors um i think they have this play 5 days a week so 5 days a week the the population of their town doubles because of visitors coming to the play and and the entire town uh pretty much caters to those who visit them who come to go to the play i mean there's huge houses huge buildings where people are fed before the play and then during that dinner intermission um food we had was great yeah uh, uh, attention to us was i mean like like you're, like someone's inviting you into their home it was Highly recommend. It was really amazing. Yeah, yeah. It certainly turns the city upside
0: down, but uh, you know, it's only a few months every ten years, and so I'm, I'm sure they they love it. But then once it's over, it's like, oh my goodness, well, what just happened to our city uh, with yeah. all, all these people? Hey, well, thanks so much uh, for to both of you. This has really been an interesting conversation. Bob and Mary Mills. They're from Oklahoma. Uh, my dear sister and brother-in-law, and like I said several times, the only people that I know that have actually gone to Ober for the Passion Play, and you've got had uh, you know eight years to decide whether you want to go to the next one in 2030, and clearly Bob and Mary are recommending that everybody do so. Uh, thanks to you both. Yeah,
1: you're welcome. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, this
0: has thanks been for fun having. Us. Yeah, and thanks to Diane running the board, and thanks everybody for listening. If you have suggestions for future interviews, uh, I'm only an email away. You can email me Dave Palmer at grNonline.com. God bless you and have a great rest of your weekend. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the KTH 910 AM Interview of the Week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. I'm Dave Palmer, Executive Director here at the station. CISL is running the board. And uh, every now and then, on during this time, we like to just feature a story about somebody who has come to know and love and uh, oftentimes uh, convert into the Catholic Church because uh, if you're a cradle Catholic like me, uh sometimes you you got to hear these stories to realize what we have. Now I love my Catholic faith, but uh I uh, recently had a conversation uh at my parish with a gentleman by the name of Marcus Bell and uh he has a wife Melissa, they have three young boys and a uh, really fascinating story in fact if you heard our Summer charathon, we highlighted Marcus's story about uh, the influence of Catholic radio on his conversion from Anglicanism uh, we're not going to focus specifically about that, but just want to hear his story so that we can just uh, re- be renewed in our appreciation of uh, the gift that we have in the Catholic Church. So, uh, Marcus, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Yeah, I, I think I told you, it reminded me of uh, like a Dr. David Anders, which is yeah. a, a great compliment because great. he's so brilliant. But, you know, the, the your intellectual depth mm. and understanding of the Catholic Church is uh, amazing. And I'm hoping that we have continue to have places for you on the radio, because oh, I, I think the, you have a real gift for that. Well, thank you. Alright, so you came into the Catholic Church along with your wife, Melissa, just just a few East, months ago, Easter twenty twenty two. That's right. So yeah. you are you are a baby
3: baby Catholic. We are yes, we are baby Catholics with three small boys who are also
0: uh, baby 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 <laughs> Catholics. So yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah yeah. So let's go back. Uh, you're young. I, I don't sure. know how old you are. Thirty two. Okay, you're uh, in your early thirties. Um, and so go back to your childhood. Okay. What 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 kind of faith were you raised in?
3: Uh, I was raised in a very loving Christian family. I mean. Um, we were Baptist, broadly speaking. My parents were both raised Southern Baptist. But by the time I was uh, uh, an older child, around the age of 10, we were virtually what you'd call non-denominational. Mm-hmm. So you have a church that has a denominational influence. Typically speaking, it's going to be kind of Church of Christ or or Baptist, just without an affiliation. And uh, so it's going to have a flair of those types of churches as opposed to like you can't really have a non-denominational Episcopal church or Presbyterian mm-hmm. church because their traditions are too strong. Yeah, But in those churches, you have a real, almost a mere Christian focus on faith, like mm-hmm. individual faith, yeah. which is good for any Christian uh, of any stripe to have an individual personal faith. And so I was raised in that atmosphere. I was raised in that culture. My family, we, we, we read scriptures together. We were immersed in Bible stories. My father, he... Uh, was in uh, in the 1980s and 90s children's Christian entertainment, which to the Catholic world is almost, uh, it it took a while for that to come about in the Catholic world, but it was very big in the evangelical world Mm. um, during the 80s and the 90s. And so I spent my childhood traveling around to different churches a couple times every month. Um, My father was on the road and we would fly to meet with him
0: and just to be there with him. Did you like it? Oh, I loved it. So my, you so you were not being dragged around. You were, I mean you I was were... being dragged around, but I loved it some of the <laughs> but time. But you but you loved not I only did. the entertainment and the travel, did you did you love the faith? I, I love
3: the faith. I spent time at Billy Graham Crusades cuz my dad would um do shows in those as well. Yeah, And so I was always hearing the gospel. Um I was hearing uh, the good news of Jesus. Uh I was uh from a very young age aware of his love for me and his presence in my life and uh uh so yeah, we we traveled around doing that, and we were exposed to many different churches. So as I got as I was younger, that didn't really mean much to me. We would just mm-hmm. go and set up in a in a stadium for a big conference or crusade, like the Billy Graham Crusades, or uh, we would be going to churches and setting up there. And so I would notice little differences here and there about the, the styles of worship. But for the most part, it wasn't until I got a little older when I could say things that might cause offense mm-hmm. or, or or point out a difference in a service because we would always stay for the Sunday service too. Yeah, Cause we were, yeah. they were good guests. We, they, they were good hosts. We were good guests. And so as I got a little older, I would just notice some of the difference. But one of the things I did notice um, th- that mattered more to me was that, well, these people love the Lord. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that was kind of what, uh, what kind of molded my faith was just kind of that simple love of the Lord, his love for me, following him, being faithful. And uh, so that kind of gets me up to my teenage years when my dad kind of stopped doing that. And I, um, like any teenager did teenage things and, uh, uh, and had my season of rebellion, you know, and God willing, teen, teens don't have to have that. Yeah. But I'm just noticing that that seems to be
0: yeah pretty yeah. common.
3: And, uh, and, but the whole time I had this special grace of the knowing the nearness of God to me and that he, pursued me even when I ran away. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. this is the good shepherd, right? Who yeah. goes out looking for the one sheep. will leave the 99 to find the one and bring him back. And so, uh, I was always keenly aware of that. And by God's grace, I never had a, uh, uh, an issue with, uh, like an intellectual switch where I went from, uh, where I tied my rebellion to God, to a convenient, um, denial of God. Mm-hmm. I knew God was real. I knew he was there. I knew he was after me. And, uh, and so after, you know, a couple of years of that, um, I, I had a, my problem would be my first real, almost uh, adult encounter with the Lord. And what I mean is, um, a, a kind of a tangible experience with, with grace, mm-hmm. with mercy. And, uh, it doesn't negate my childhood. It, it just is one of those ones where it was, it, it was in that time period where you're a teenager and you're about to become a, a young adult. And yeah. so. I um I met the Lord in uh in a very profound way um by his spirit and his word in my bedroom after going to a, a small group for young men um through my church and just seeing their love and pursuit of God and I I uh I had this um this great grace poured out on me where I just wept for my sins. Yeah. And, uh, I wept all night and I read the Bible for, for hours. And I just had this picture of, and I wasn't a charismatic at the time. We'll get there in a second. I wasn't a charismatic yet, but I had this picture of the Lord standing over me. And as I was weeping, he was weeping too, but mm. his tears were tears of joy. So though I was like, though I was feeling, um, I was in a place of repentance in my heart, there was joy too. It wasn't grief, it was joy. Yeah. And so I, it I changed overnight by God's grace. Um virtually within a week I had totally changed the Howdy way I was at living. This point? I was sixteen at this point. Sixteen sixteen, okay. so, 16. so was a young quite, man, yeah. Quite early on. Quite early on and and uh so it was kind of an early rebellion of fourteen to sixteen, yeah, so to speak. Yeah. And you know, and uh you know, God willing. That's not something that should be a common thing, but I mean I mean you know, Lord have mercy, but and I have three boys too, so I'm yeah. trying not to let that consume my mind. But but um the faithfulness of the Lord is what what I should keep on my mind now as a parent. And um and so uh so yeah, I I I quickly changed uh by his grace, and and uh I kind of alluded to this in our in our last conversations where um there were people in my church when I would explain things like I just explained to you, or I was explaining something akin to a vision, right, yeah, but not yeah. quite a vision. I wouldn't claim it that, but it was an image I had in my heart and in my mind, uh, they thought that was a little weird. You know, that was a little weird. (laughs) And And so the, the people who didn't find it weird were the people who were a little more charismatic in the church. And so I did the next great thing after having a having a short time of, of maturing as I became immature again. And I left my church because it didn't fit. It didn't fit. You know, I, I found another group who were more charismatic and also loved the Lord. And, um, and I ended up in that phase of my life meeting my wife.
0: Okay. And at this okay. time I
3: was, I was 18.
0: Okay. And met my wife. Is
3: this college or? Uh, no, this is
0: pre-college. Okay. Pre-college. Pre-college. I
3: was still in high school, uh, about to graduate and we met doing the same ministry. It was a, uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the prayer and worship movement, but it's, uh, it's something the Catholic Church has always been doing, which is praying night and day. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you can start to see where this spirituality, this Catholic spirituality mm-hmm. comes in and, and I have many friends still in it, and there are many holy, good um uh Christian Protestant Christians in it. And uh, I met my wife there and you would lead two hour sets of worship and which is a long time. So basically you're gonna play your songs and then you're gonna end up just playing mm-hmm. something. Yeah. And you're gonna be yeah. usually kind of singing and 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 praying and uh uh, what we would call prophesying, but it mostly was centered around the word, like making uh, declarations. Speaking in
0: tongues would that be part of it? Sometimes, too? but yeah.
3: not typically from a guitar. I mean, not yeah. from not in the leading, not yeah. in the leading of okay. it. it. was more of that. That was a, definitely part of the spirituality of the individuals there. But really, what you were set to do was to lead worship for two hours, and the idea was that you were ministering directly to the Lord, and they would base this off of David's tabernacle.
0: Okay, right, okay. the
3: presence of the Lord, and David yeah. hires all these Levites to surround it day and night and to worship and adore Him. So these were the Language we use for this was adoration, Mm-hmm. and you yeah. can see how this stuff starts to kind of build on to bringing me to a, a Catholic spirituality. That's right, right. And so, uh, we would the idea was that let's, let's adore the Lord for 24 hours to 72 hours non stop, it never stops. You just kind of trade out musicians, and uh, you're 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 declaring scriptures in a kind of a prophetic manner, reading the Psalms. Uh,
0: that was pretty exciting. It was super I mean, exciting. Yeah, it yeah. was, it
3: was awesome. Was and it emotional? Like, uh, like, you know, a, a, you, kind like, you can be emotional, but not for two hours. You know what <laughs> I mean? So that was actually the good thing. It was, yeah. it was you know, it, it, there's that hype. You're young. It's yeah. exciting. Yeah. It's new. And yet, that don't want to last so long. And you're going to end up being up there and you're going to be like, well, surely this two hours is over. And you look down and it's, Only been 45 minutes. You Mm still have another hour and 15 minutes. And so they were actually pretty slow burns, like slow burning type things. And you, uh, so I had a lot of sweet, um, and really meaningful times with the Lord, um, in those. And so my wife and I met doing one of those. I, she was controlling the sound and I'm bad at that stuff. And so she, uh, helped me, uh, set up. And we met. She asked me if I wanted to go on a mission trip, and I thought she was really pretty, so I said, "Of course, <laughs> so I go on that yes. <laughs> mission trip." I didn't go on that mission trip, but uh-huh. but we did end up doing mission stuff together later on. Yeah, and so we got married a year later. Okay, and uh so
0: that, and you're still in your teenager, years? No, So or? this, well, I got married uh, at nineteen. Oh, so okay. We, I was nineteen then. Oh, wow. Yeah,
3: and then we uh, were still. We ended up working for this ministry. Yeah, yeah. Actually, working for it, and uh, uh, it was in that. It was kind of in that situation where we started, um, we started thinking through some things, mm-hmm. um, mostly because when you're sitting there, if there's like, if there's a 24 hour nonstop worship service, and each each uh, two hours is split up by another team, you're hearing 12 different people sing different songs, yeah, uh, pray different prayers, and most of it harmonizes, but every once in a while you'll hear some things that contradict. Yeah. And then ever so often you'll hear something like, that's not right. Yeah. You know, you kind of a tick in the spirit. And at this point I had no uh formal theological education. I'd always just been hungry. You know, mm-hmm. I read some C.S. Lewis when I was a teenager, I read Tolkien when I was a kid. You know, so I was in, being informed by certain you know, paradigms that involve theology and and different levels of truth. Uh, uh, and so it just got me wondering, well, what do I believe about this? Yeah. What do I believe about this thing? Um, you know, for me, the whole point of me being involved in the ministry that we were involved in, which, like I said, has many really godly, wonderful people in it, was the thought uh, that, man, I just want to worship God and I want to be near his presence. Yeah. I want to adore him and be loved, love him and be loved by him. I want to know him and be known by him. and uh, And that was it. But then when I started realizing, well, of course, like any ministry, there's going to be some theological. Underpinnings for why this is valid, it got me wondering. Mm-hmm. You know, not a, not about whether you know the gifts of the Spirit have ceased or anything like that, but but well, that treatment of the Bible verse specifically specifically Amos nine, uh, I think it's 9-11, 9-10, about David's fallen tent
0: mm-hmm. being
3: restored. So the idea was that well, let's start a worship and prayer movement, and and that'll be kind of like an in like an end of days thing where people would be worshiping night and day all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And it's like, yeah, that might be a third. Interpret like a third order interpretation of that, but this is talking about christ yeah you know, David's fallen tent is christ 's body right and, and it's his resurrection and then the tent pegs are extended, and all of the nations are drawn underneath that tent mm. and so uh, we we ended up slowly kind of be- being less involved with that ministry until we stopped working with it but at the time we um, that was kind of our first initial experience of the pain of leaving behind a ministry, yeah, a community yeah. of people. And um, so, yeah, that's, was
0: well, this a time that Anglicanism kind of enters into the, the picture? It is uh,
3: very quickly, very, yeah. very quickly because it was after that that we were introduced to Anglicanism. But before that, we had experience with orthodoxy because we'd gone to Turkey and done mm-hmm. some mission work there, had friend, missionary friends that lived there.
0: So a more liturgical-based, that, that, is that what you were appeal, was yeah, attracted sudden, to?
3: Yeah, all of a sudden I realized, well, there's a history of Christianity. I want to, surely that should inform me as a Christian. Yeah, And so kind of went searching there, and it wasn't until, uh, I think, basically a year after stepping down officially from that ministry we worked with and loved so much uh, that we went to our first Anglican or Episcopal liturgy yeah. over in Dallas. And it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was high church. It was incense. There was people bowing and I oh, it's like bowing and scraping, but I mean that in a good way. They're bowing. They seem really, really sincere. They're crossing themselves. I'd never seen any of this before, but yeah. I immediately thought as a charismatic, this is very charismatic.
0: Yeah. Now, could you just have easily gone into a Catholic church at that point, or did you have a, a bit of a resistance to becoming Catholic? You wanted to stay Protestant or what was the, what were your the, thoughts on Catholicism at that m- point? My in your thoughts life? on
3: Catholicism were basically non-existent. Yeah. So it was one of those things where, uh, and you find this a lot, I think with Protestants is that it's um, especially ones who are more from that non-denominational world. It's not that they have a theological, um, supposition that keeps them from Catholicism is that their only experience with Catholicism is what they see in media. Mm-hmm. And so to them, it's not even a serious alternative. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, you know, if I'd waited a little longer, I probably would have walked into a Catholic mass yeah. or a church yeah. or something. And if, and if you would have asked me back then, of course, I would have had some anti Catholic sentiments, but nothing visceral, nothing I held on to by, um, uh, uh, you know, conviction Mm -hmm. just stuff i'd seen in movies or something and so we got involved in the anglican church and uh, the episcopal church and then we very quickly realized we can't do that because of um all of the heretical teachings and practices that they participate in over there on on a
0: large scale early on you recognize that
3: from day one i went home and i googled the episcopal church and i decided a couple weeks after that we got to move on but and, you but, uh, but
0: you stayed in for quite some time, didn't you? We you did we went be- to yeah.
3: we went to the conservative uh yeah. it's called the Anglican Church in North America. They right. split off from the Episcopal Church in the, in 2008 because okay. of all sorts of political stuff right. and uh or spiritual stuff that had political ramifications. And so we found one right down the street from us. We'd lived in our apartment for 3 years at this point and uh and all of a sudden realized that there's a beautiful church right down the street and we went in And we got met by the most loving community. Uh, the, the, the worship and the, the, the place of scripture in worship spoke to our hearts and fed us. And, uh, and we, we got so, we got super involved. And, um, all along that way, though, I was, I was being influenced by, uh, Catholic teaching because, um, Anglicanism has this weird identity where you, uh, where you consume a lot of Catholic writing.
0: Uh huh.
3: And then if it's prior to the Reformation, it's yours. You can claim it. If it's after that, you might be able to claim it depending on whether you're high church or low church, mm-hmm. yeah. whether you're called what they call Anglo Catholic or they call or more reformed. Mm-hmm. And so we, uh, we, uh, I was, I was very much a devotee of what's called the Oxford movement, the Oxford fathers, which is where John Henry Cardinal Mm, Newman, St. John Henry Newman comes from. Right, right. He comes from that movement. And it was a restoration movement of, of the Church of England, um, after what we know as the kind of the Wesleyan period. Yeah. Right. They
0: all grew up as Wesleyans. Would like G.K. Chesterton have been involved in that? He was a little older. I mean, a little, a little younger. Younger. Okay. So he would
3: be that generation between like Tolkien and Lewis. Yeah. And then your, uh, uh, and then your John Henry Newman's would be old men when Chesterton yeah. were young men. Yeah. And so, yeah.
0: So you get into diaconate formation, mm-hmm. you decide, you and Melissa decide that the priesthood would be a good thing for you, uh, within right. the Anglican, uh, order. So, yeah. um, that's a big decision. That, that, a that's big... your vocation, right? That's going to be the rest of your right. life. You're going to be a priest. That's right. And so I got,
3: I, I got, um, approved by what's called the standing committee at that point for vocations. And, uh, at that point, we had been in the church for about two years and, uh, was going to every saints day service, very involved with the book of common prayer, which you can pray morning and evening office. I was immersed in it. I'd never been to this day that has informed my whole life more mm-hmm. than any other thing, more than any other kind of culture, um, surrounding like worship and spirituality. And so, so we, uh, I get involved. I'm, I'm now in seminary and I'm taking seminary courses. And now I'm drinking from a fire hose and I'm wondering. I'm wondering. Uh, I'm asking questions. Yeah. Because it's the first time where I'm asked. I out may,
0: loud or, or just out loud okay. and to myself.
3: More, okay. more like nail biting to myself. Cause I'm like, well, what's going on? You know, this is not this. Some of these things don't make sense to me. But uh, I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I heard things that made me real that made me uh asked me to adopt kind of an anti-catholic position that i didn't hold before that so it was mm-hmm. weird i was kind of working into not an anti-catholic culture because anglicans love catholic catholic yeah
0: yeah well they're so similar they're so yeah. similar they
3: yeah. love yeah. them but but their whole structure of understanding themselves requires them to be different and similar at the don't same time. Don't they kind time. of
0: consider themselves almost Catholic? They do. I mean, they call themselves yeah.
3: Reformed Catholics.
0: Right, right. And but, it's it's a whole thing to unpack. But they don't some, believe in the obedience and the hierarchy, right? They do. Would they be uh, loyal to the Holy Father as Anglicans no. or no?
3: Not okay. as Anglicans, but most of them would consider. Them him to be a the rightful patriarch of the Western Church. Okay, they have okay. more of an Orthodox understanding. Yeah, of the of the nature of the Church so that's more conciliar. But there's no there's no hierarchy. There's no uh, uh, magisterial authority of the Pope. Yeah, they'll just kind of view it as a conciliar nature with a body with no head. it's yeah, liturgically very
0: similar. Can but uh, but no no real no
3: no uh, real presence though. No real presence. That's right. Yeah, and that's all. That's all very touchy for the Anglicans because. It's like saying, so you're saying I'm not legitimate? Yeah. And, and you're like, if you want to use that language. You okay, know, we'll you, go there, yeah. If you want to use that language. And so, I, um, can, yeah. Can I, I g- ask you a quick question? Ahead, before, uh, yeah. and uh, We
0: only have a few minutes, but sure. I want to get to the Catholic part. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Uh, And maybe you can give me a quick answer on this one. Uh, sure. what, 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 What about the whole King Henry VIII thing? I mean, is yeah. that, uh, that's got to be a sticking point. Is it, it is the is guy a- running around killing wives? I mean, yeah. the founder of a faith? I mean, uh, for is, sure. It's it's so troublesome.
3: It is troublesome, and I would say that uh, as Anglicans, no Anglican likes Henry the Oh, really? And the Ang- yeah. English Reformation is so unique in that it took so long to do—basically, almost a hundred years—to really get down what is an Ang- Ang- what is an Anglican. Yeah. And uh, and so no Anglicans like that. However, they would say that uh, because of the primacy of Scripture, that even though he did all that he did, and as vile as it was that the Anglican church is still upholding scripture and still it's authority. It's final authority is scripture. And therefore, uh, the, whatever King Henry could do to it, um, didn't violate the overall goal of the Reformation. Yeah, well, even is, we
0: would say the, you know, the Catholic Church is bigger than the Pope. I mean, uh, the, sure. the leader, of course, the Pope didn't found the Church. That's right. Jesus. But right. uh, uh, we might have to have a part two of this interview because sure, yeah. I want to know all about your, your Catholic life. Yeah. But let's, in the time remaining, talk about sure. taking that leap. You and okay. Melissa at some point said, you know what? Yep. we got to be Catholic. Tell, right. tell me about that.
3: Yeah, so I was involved in seminary, and I like I said, I started reading stuff that made me force the question on some of this stuff can't be true. Like some of this, both of these things can't be true. Some stuff can coexist together. There'd be some kind of theological tension, but there's too much here that's going to, that's going to ask me to take a stand to be Protestant or to be Catholic, to be mm-hmm. with the church of the past 500 years or a, a church of the past 500 years or the church of two millennia. And so listening to um, uh, guys on Catholic Answers a lot at night, which was super great for me um, uh, because it, Helped me to go through so many different things that I never thought to ask about, uh, and then, yeah, I I basically was ordained a deacon, and I read the uh, before that I read the uh, Apologia Pro Vita Sua, John Henry Newman's mm-hmm. apology for why he did what he did, his whole yeah. life's apology, <laughs> and I identified with almost every page. Not saying I'm like John saint, yeah, saint John Henry yeah. Newman, he is my patron saint, but uh, but I my heart, his heart speak, spoke to my heart, and I thought that was so fitting. Cause Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. Catholic Radio for your soul. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone.